But Paul's purpose as a whole is that Christian readers might grasp the gospel in its grandest form, like, my, like um, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, in its sublimest form. Uh, a gospel that goes beyond my immediate context and draws all of existence into Christ. Uh, and as they, as we grasp the truth, Paul seeks to show us its power to transform us and make us more like Christ. So this is a letter to the church, and, and, and very much we can treat it like a letter to us, although it was written to some churches in, in Ephesus and surround. Uh, it is a letter that speaks to us. It was speaking mainly to Gentile Christians back in the original context as well, which just adds an extra layer of, of usness to it. Uh, the structure of the letter is really straightforward. Chapters 1 to 3, Paul opens up for us the depths of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapters 4 to 6, Paul unpacks for us how that gospel truth comes to bear on our living, on our lives. How it comes in and it transforms us. How the church, the family, the worker, the Christian is changed by the gospel. And it's really important that as we go through this letter, we recognise that, that, that it's one, not two pieces. Um, no, no part of the letter is not gospel-saturated. Uh, there's no part where he goes, well, now I'm just going to talk about marriage and, and, you know, the gospel was back there. Or now I'm just going to talk about how we work and the gospel was back there. It, it's all gospel. Uh, it's just when you get to the bits about marriage and about work and about parenting, they are introducing us to and inviting us into a gospel-saturated way to do those things. We have to see the gospel roots the whole way through. Uh, which is brings us back to the start. Ephesians is intended to form us by the gospel and so make us a gospel-shaped people. And in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, uh, which, which, by the way, okay, you think that's complicated? It's actually one sentence in the Greek uh, from 3 to 14. So there you go, fun fact. Um, one of the great run-on sentences, and Paul does run-on sentences in Ephesians pretty epically. Um, but in 3 to 14, we see why we would want to be a gospel-shaped people, why we want to be formed by the gospel. And, and the, the broadly, the point is we want to be formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because every good thing that we have is ours in him. Uh, verse 3, uh, he kind of opens with his application and then hammers it a few times on the way through. He says, blessed be God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What a great opening. Um, all of life is to be for blessing God. What, what he means by blessing God is not, hey, work, 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 so that you can give something back to God. What he means by bless God, that's what, what happens when God blesses us. He gives us immense things, things we don't deserve. When we bless God, it is living to the praise of God's glory, living in ways that praise Him. We're not just talking about singing here. It's all of life transformed by the gospel to be one great act of praise toward God. And, and there's two phrases throughout this section that Paul just hammers again and again and again. Um, one, more than the other, he, he, uh, every time he talks about a blessing from God, he says, in Christ, or in Him, or in the Beloved, uh, all referring to it being in Jesus that we have these things. He, like ten times, 
in 12 verses. Uh, he says, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. A and all these things, this is the other one, he says, all these things are to the praise of his glory. That phrase, to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace comes up three times. And he says it because he wants to remind us what this is meant to lead to in our life. This is all leads us to praise him, to lift up Jesus through our lives, to honor him in everything that we do. You see where this is going, right? Every good thing we have is ours in Christ and should lead us to be so formed by the truth of Jesus, by the gospel, that our lives praise God. So the remaining verses, they offer us five interconnected reasons why we should want to be gospel transformed to the praise of God. Um, and yes, five is a lot. Yes, that's another reason why this is a tricky little passage to read in its complicated language. Um, he gives us an eternal reason. He gives us a personal reason. He gives us a cosmic reason, a future reason, and a here and now reason. Uh, so, so first he starts with an eternal reason. He says, he chose us in him. Notice the way that all of these reasons are in him. Before time was, if you have believed in Jesus, or if you come to believe in Jesus, before time was, this reality is true. God chose you. He didn't just kind of look forward and go, well, they're going to do a good job of it, so I'll, I'll pick them because they're so great. He, he, he looked forward in love and said, I love this one and I choose them. And, and what did he choose us for? He chose us to be, he gives us four things across these two verses. He chose us to be uh, holy, blameless before him and to be, in the next verse, adopted. Uh, these are all breathtaking realities. Um, holiness refers to us having God-likeness, not being God, not being gods, but, but us taking on his likeness, living out the image of God that we were made for. Blamelessness, I don't know about you, but that's one that I still struggle with some days because I'm like, how could I ever be blameless? And yet, in Christ, right now, I am blameless because his death and his resurrection has dealt with my sin and I'm justified before God. And one day I will be before him, transitioning us to the next one, before him, blameless forever, never sinning again. What a glorious truth. And yet I think even more breathtaking, he says it will be before God that we are these things. We will be in his presence. And finally, he says he has predestined us for adoption as sons. And the reason he says sons there, by the way, sons and daughters, girls aren't left out. But uh, the reason he uses sons is because there is something of that image of God purpose of creation here that Adam and Eve were created to in a, in a relationship of image that was a relationship of sonship, not in the modern sense of you're my boy child, in the sense of you are the heir to this kingdom. You are, you are going to be a regent with him. In fact, you know, we're going to hit Revelation a couple of times this morning, but in Revelation 22, um, he says, they will reign forever of the saints. Um, you will be a, a vice regent of God in the new heavens, new heavens and new earth. And all of this is to the praise of his glorious grace. Th 
Yeah, okay, let's do that. Um, uh, th this is, is why I'm a Calvinist. Yeah, unpopular word sometimes, I know. Um, but <laughs> essentially what I mean by a Calvinist is someone who believes very firmly in the sovereignty of God and the saving of sinners. Uh, that it is all him before it is ever anything else. Now, I was still called to have faith in him, but before I ever had faith in him, in him, he pointed forward and said, that one's going to believe. And he acted to make me believe. And the reason I say that is because I can say, in line with the Bible, God chose me. And he chose me, uh, and he chose you uh, before the foundation of the world. Such is his sovereign grace towards us. It was nothing. It is nothing in me. It is purely because he chose me to the praise of his glorious grace. Let no praise go to me. So, gospel reason number one, to be gospel transformed for the, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of God. Because he chose you for this. And in his choosing you, you have the blessings of holiness, blamelessness, coming before God and, and being adopted as his precious child. Next, he gives us a personal reason. In him, we have redemption through his blood. I love this. He dives into the depths of the personal reason. This is, you cannot get more intimately personal than what he says here. In him, we have redemption through his blood. How much does God love you? How much does he care for you? He cares enough to have shed his blood and died to save you. Because Jesus came to carry our weight of sin. We have forgiveness in him. What a, what, a, what a well of deep truth. What an amazingly personal claim. Gospel reason number two, to be gospel transformed to the praise of God. Because although I was hurtling towards destruction, you know, Ephesians, Paul later is going to describe as us as having been dead in our sin. Distant from God, separated from the covenants of God, and yet Jesus shed his blood for me, and so I am redeemed. Third, he gives us a cosmic reason. And I love verse 8 in this. Verse 8 is a transition. And it takes us from the deep well of personal truth of verse 7 up to the enormous cosmic heights of cosmic truth in verse 9 and 10. There is a mystery, Paul says, that has existed since before time which God has revealed to his people, which supremely leads us to praise him and supremely leads us to want to be formed by the gospel truth about Jesus. There's a reason this reason sits at the centre of what Paul says here. This is number three out of five, right? He's trying to underline it. And, and if you've got a pen, you've got a Bible there, feel free, unless it's one of the, nah, whatever, underline it. Verse 9 and 10. This is the 30,000 feet perspective we mentioned earlier on at its best. This is the top story, the cosmic dimensions of salvation in the gospel. The mystery now made plain is this. God is going to unite all things in Christ. That word, unite, uh, in, in the original language, in the Greek, it implies more than just Jesus will be the instrument for fixing everything. It implies that Jesus is the main point of everything. Go home today. Look at something. It doesn't matter what it is. 
And think to yourself, the reason that exists is Jesus. Toaster. You. The bed that you rest in. The table you eat at. Everything you have and everything around you and all of the cosmos is for him. He is the point. It is all for his glory. Not that he needs it, but that it exists to bring glory to his name. You know, Romans 11. Uh, Paul, Paul says something similar in different words. He says, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Now, I love what um, Peter O'Brien, another one of those commentators on this book, he says about this in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, did it work? Nah, can you skip me, Eli? He says, Christ is the one in whom God chooses to sum up the cosmos, the one in whom he restores harmony to the universe. He is the focal point, not simply the means, the instrument or the functionary through whom all this occurs. In verse 9 and 10, the stress is placed on the one in whom God's overarching arching purposes for the whole of the created order are included. The emphasis is now on a universe that is centred and reunited in Christ. Why do we want to be gospel transformed to the praise of God? I mean seriously, Jesus is the point of everything. So if you live your life, if you're transformed by another truth, then you are missing the point of everything. What other truth would I want to be formed by than this tr gospel truth about him? But Paul's not done, okay? Reason number four. He gives us a future reason. Because God has chosen us since before time. In Christ, we have an inheritance the likes of which you cannot compete with. You know... You, you want to know what this is talking about, right? Just, just head to Revelation 21 and 22 sometime and have a little old read there of what is in store for those who have trusted in Christ. About a perfect new creation, a, a real physical world where heaven and earth meet with every physical thing that has been good in this world ramped up to infinity, perfected beyond belief, a world with no mourning or crying or pain. Like I um, don't, I, I've said this a few times, but I'll say it again. Don't fall for the clouds and harps version of the Christian hope. Um, the Bible offers a physical world to come where all physical things are good and perfect and better. Um, I, I do love, I adore the Gary Larson comic where everyone's coming into heaven and you see angel going, welcome to heaven, here's your harp. And then in the bottom frame, you've got welcome to hell, here's your p uh, piano accordion. But that's just not how it is. That, that's not God's version of salvation. That's not God's version of eternity. Starters, hell isn't the, uh, the domain ruled by Satan. It's the domain of judgment against Satan. But for seconds, our eternal hope is a real world with God. You know, God made us to do things like, like eat, like enjoy people, like have relationships with people, like like. He made it for good. Don't fall for that old lie that spiritual is good but physical is bad. No, God has a spiritual way to live a physical life and it is perfect. I got distracted. 
let me recenter myself because there's better things in this inheritance than a physical world to come. Yes, it's a world with no mourning or crying or pain. Uh, it's a world, like we said, where you will reign. It says twice in Revelation that you will reign forever, no longer oppressed by sin or by suffering. And most of all, it is a world where you will see face to face the one who is the purpose of it all. Where you will live in perfect, un, un, unfractured relationship with the king of the cosmos, the main point of the universe. Christian, here's a truth to hold before yourself on the days when you feel like you've just not good enough. Don't we have those days? Come on. But here's something to hold before yourself on that day. When you say, I'm not good enough. I, I don't think God could, like, I don't see why God would keep persisting with me. God, knowing every failure you would commit before and after you came to Christ. Before time was, he predestined not to fail, not to be punished, but for a glorious, never-ending inheritance in Christ. And because it is in Christ, no failure of yours can take it away. It's not in you. And it's not within you to get rid of it. He has given it to you. Do you trust him? Finally, there's the, the here and now reason. Paul closes out his five reasons with the fact that every believer in the gospel has a here and now assurance of the truth of this gospel of our salvation. In fact, we have uh, received a massive down payment, the Bible puts it elsewhere, of that future inheritance, a seal which assures us that in Christ, God's love for us is, is never going to be removed. It is ours and it will remain ours. He has placed his very spirit in us. The presence of the living God is in every Christian believer. Um, let's be clear about this, what, what the Holy Spirit isn't. The Holy Spirit is not a spiritual battery that exists to give you energy sometimes, to give you some power. He does empower people, but he is more. He's not just a fancy source of gifts, though he does provide gifts. He is more. He's not an impersonal force within us, much like the force from Star Wars, conveniently. No, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God of the universe. The God who, <laughs> who in, in the Old Testament, you would see a person would come near to his presence and die because he is so holy and we are so not. And yet, because he predestined us, like we read earlier on, to be holy before him, his presence now lives within us. That should blow our minds. He is an actual person. And as such, he is the personal presence of the God of the universe in our hearts and lives. Instructing us, gifting us, empowering us, leading us on, glorifying Christ in us. He gives the power for our lives to be gospel transformed to the praise of God because he is always in us, praising Christ to us and through us, empowering us to keep going. So, so why 
would we want to be gospel transformed by, to the praise of God? Because he has put himself in us. The spirit of God into our hearts to assure us that he will give us all things in Christ. Let's, let's bring the 30,000 feet down to the ground, shall we? We all have central truths by which we live our lives. This is a fact, not a question. These things, if you boil it down, they are the honest answers to the question, why? When you uh, do something, if you approach any of your actions, any of your life choices, any of your attitudes or habits or behaviours, and ask, why do I do that? There is always an answer. And that answer, if it is truthful, if you can get to it, uh, will show you a truth by which you are living, consciously or not. You never do something accidentally. I mean, you do, but you're intending something else. And the thing that you intended, you did for a purpose, and there was a truth behind that. That's what I think a reality you were believing is. Give it a try this week. When you're angry... Uh, when you yell at someone, or if you mistreat someone, or if you get impatient at someone, uh, even just down in your heart, go and ask yourself, why? Why did I do that? What truth was directing me there in that moment? Example, why, why do you speak to your spouse that harsh way? No, I, I believe I deserve better. I think that would be an honest answer that many people wouldn't come out with because it's a little bit too honest. Why, why do you stash so much money in the bank or hoard material possessions? I believe those things make me safe. They make me successful. They define my meaning. We, we all have central truths by which we live our lives. But in Ephesians, we see Jesus is the only truth by which it makes sense to live your life. Everything else is an aberration. Everything else is going after something lesser, putting an idol in the place of the true living God in whom you have everything. And Paul's going to lead us into that gospel-formed life through this letter. But let me end today on, on, an, on a note of invitation. Um, perhaps you're a follower of Jesus who had, uh, who, who's hearing this today, hearing me talking about being formed by the gospel and maybe there's something washing over you that, that seemed a little bit foreign and you're beginning to recognise the reality of it. Maybe you'd assumed that you just kind of, Christianity, here's, here's, here's the outline of Christianity that a lot of people walk with. You know, you trust in Jesus once and then you go to church every Sunday and then you go to heaven, lickety split, the end. Um, ma maybe you're just seeing all the ways that your life doesn't match up to the truth. Let me say, this isn't a bait and switch. I'm not, I'm not here saying, ah, you thought it was easy, but look how hard it is. I'm going to give that to you instead. I'm not trying to trick you into a harder Christian walk. I and the Holy Spirit, I believe, are calling you into the best life that you could have. A life oriented by the ultimate truth of the gospel, where although you will struggle, although you will face hardships and sufferings, even though there are struggles, is a life filled with purpose, with meaning, uh, even, even though there are challenges.
It's a life where you can find more joy than you will ever find in any of the lesser joys of this world. Now, I'm, I'm going to give us a chance at the end here to, to pray over that. Um, and if, if that's you, you know, I'm not asking anyone to raise their hands or anything. I'm just asking you, take that time. Do your business with God. Come before him and say, Lord, I've, I've gone for a cheap version of Christianity. <laughs> and, I, and I want all in. I want to I believe every day. I want to be transformed by the gospel. And then engage this as we go through it. As we head through Ephesians, engage it and seek to be transformed. Maybe though, maybe you're here today uh, and, and you're hearing these, the big realities and really something, uh, something's cooking in there because you're hearing them for the first time. Maybe you've heard them before, but maybe they're just hitting you for the first time and you're realizing, you know, God's stirring something in me. A soft voice is saying to you, I haven't believed the truth. I haven't, I haven't received that inheritance. I don't believe that inheritance is mine yet. I don't believe that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is mine because, and I don't believe I've received the spirit because I don't believe I'm in Christ. Let me invite you to consider that those thoughts stirring within you are being put there by a creator God for a reason. He's indicating to you that the creator God chose you before time. He shed his blood for you and he's calling you to believe. If you'd like to take that step today, we would love to walk with you in that. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to, what I'm going to do now is we're going to pray together as a people. We're all going to just bow our heads and do our business with God. But if that's you, I'd invite you. There's no magic words. It's just coming before God and recognizing, Lord, I've, I've run away from you, but I want to be yours. I want you to be mine. I want to believe your truth. I believe that Jesus died for me. I'm sorry that I've gone against you. Those aren't the magic words. I'm just examples. But right now, we're going we're gonna to pray together. So would you bow your head and, and, and we'll do that. And I'm going I'm to say a few words and then leave some silence for people to do their, do their stuff. And then, and then I'll close. Jesus, we want to be in Christ. So I pray, Lord, that as your people pray now, speak their words personally with you, that you would lead our hearts in, in worship of you and that we would know the truth of your gospel and we'd be set free by it. In Jesus' name.